one two one two one two. You do realise now that pressing this record button means we have to record it. That's it. Committed. The Fuji Cast. Hello, welcome to the first Fuji Cast with myself, Neil James, and me, Kevin Mullins. A chance to talk about things Fuji Film, but uh, let me just say from the outset, this isn't just a show designed for those who are existing users. It's uh, hopefully going to be equally of interest to those who may be thinking about swapping to the system or just going mirrorless. Because as much as uh, we'll be talking about Fujifilm cameras and kit, we'll equally be talking about photography in general. You Got Mail is a a chance for you to send both Kevin and myself uh, your questions about the cameras, the system, any problems, any feedback and so on. We do have emails today that stuff just floating around our own inboxes. But if you'd like to send fresh stuff in from this week onwards, the address is click at fujicast.co.uk. Also on the show today, part one of a two-part series featuring a walkabout Sydney with Fujifilm X photographer Marcus Anderson. Uh, The wish list where we get a chance to share some of the stuff we keep in our kit bags that isn't Fujifilm brand specific necessarily, but uh, it's essential gear and and stuff we'd like to share. Uh, We both have active YouTube channels, so we thought it'd be fun to collect some of the messages uh, that we get through these messages and answer some questions and some feedback. And if you're like the two of us, then you'll have a, a big collection of photographic books. So each week we're going to take one of those, possibly two from the bookshelf, and we'll share. I thought actually this week, though, a good place to start would be our own stories, Kev. Um, mm. Flesh out the reason why we've, we've come together to make this podcast and where, where we actually are in the, um, in the business ourselves and what, and what we do. And your, your story, I know you've told it a million times. I've heard it on other podcasts, but your, your story... Of, of becoming a photographer was was literally one day saying to hell with this i don't want to work in london anymore i want to be a photographer and, and you had no kit so i used to work in it in the city in uh, london doing kind of web design online marketing and you know real kind of embryonic stages of social media and stuff in those days yeah. and i he was just exhausted by it i'd done it for 10 15 years or so the london thing and my wife and i had moved to the west country we just had a baby and you know the money was good everything was great but it was just exhausting and then one day i was on a train and picked up one of those free magazines that you see left a line around everywhere somebody had just left it on the seat next to me i picked it up and i just opened the book opened the magazine up and it happened to be a article about wedding photography and I often say to to my wife and other people that will listen to me, it's a good idea. It was a good job. It wasn't a wed- uh, an article about chiropody <laughs> or you know funeral directing or yeah. something like that. Um, so uh, just kind of glancing through this p- article and thinking well, this is not at all interesting to me. And then there was a couple of images in the bottom right hand corner. Um, was this the Jeff? Uh, this was a Jeff Askoff article, wasn't it? No, it wasn't about Jeff Askoff. But those are the images that caught my eye. It right. was a general overview. Uh, overview. Of, and right, it, okay. it was one of those free magazines that probably probably had syndicated this article from somewhere else whatever and so i just kind of i was literally turning the page to look for another article and there were these these couple of black and white documentary style images and i looked at them and i thought wow my god i've never you know at that point i'd been to many weddings and um been to two of my own in fact (laughs) (laughs) and um uh, you know which one was the best uh, the second one (laughs) and (laughs) and the uh, you know my overriding experience of wedding photographers at that point was your traditional very traditional very kind of formulaic wedding which is fine did you have that sort of view of it's the rain mac brigade kind of 
Yeah, kind which, of. Which I, I, I'm, I always feel really uncomfortable saying, but whenever you see sketches about wedding photographers, mm. I mean, they do make us out to be the Ray Mac brigade, don't they? Yeah, absolutely, they do. And, and actually, when I think back to my first wedding um which was in pra- the, we call it practice wedding, practice in my, wedding in my yeah house. this was in the day before digital and the photographer actually she was brilliant she was really very good i remember her vividly I, I can't remember her name unfortunately um and the images she created were brilliant but i you know i do remember on that wedding day uh, spending a lot of time we, we you know the first wedding was in december it was cold and yeah. snowing and you know spending a lot of time just you know and the friends and family were all kind of like oh my god can we not just go in and drink the mulled wine and mm. all that you know and and th- for me that's what wedding photography was like, it, it had like you, you know you you might as well have asked, had asked me uh, what does a brain surgeon do? yeah i had no idea mm. like no idea whatsoever um and then i saw these images and i went home to Gemma, and i said you know what I'm going to be a wedding photographer. <laughs> and she was like, uh, okay, well, you know, she had a baby under one arm kind of thing. You know, See, now now just, I know Gemma. Yeah. I'm, I'm wondering if she was really as calm as you make her out to be. Uh, no, not quite. Um, so she was like, well, you know, in fairness, she will support me in anything I yeah. do. Um, but she has a very sensible head. And sensibly, she said, you don't even have a camera. You've never done it before. You've never taken professional pictures. Uh, you're really quite miserable. <laughs> and Did you say you know, that? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, probably not the thing that she wanted to hear when I came home. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that's what I did. And that was, yeah, that was 2008. So I've now been shooting professionally for 10 years since then. Um, and it's, yeah, I mean, it was a, you know, and I got to know Jeff uh, throughout the uh, the wedding industry. And, you know, I'm quite honest and open that if it wasn't for those pictures, mm. that I, A, I wouldn't have been interested in wedding photography. And B, I definitely wouldn't have gone in the direction that I chose to go. Back in 2008, you said, mm-hmm. that, that would... I mean, documentary wedding photography wasn't really a thing, was it? Not that not, I'm aware of. I mean, not the way it is now. No, absolutely not the way it is now, and and that's partly because uh, you know those that shoot. Well, anybody who shoots weddings, obviously, it's a, you have to be very skillful. Mm. Um, but I think back in the day when you were shooting film, you, you, you know, you, it, us as documentary style photographers, we shoot a lot of pictures. You know, we shoot a lot more pictures than we give to the clients. That's just par for the course. And when you're shooting film. You, they didn't. A couldn't do that. Well, Jeff was a Leica shooter, wasn't he? Jeff was a Leica shooter. So manual focus, yeah. film photography, delivering candid images, yeah. and that is a that is a talent that uh, you know I certainly don't think I have. I could do that. I you know in fact I know I couldn't do that. Mm. I couldn't do that with that kind of pressure. What's your number now? My number is something like four hundred sixty six. Right. Four hundred sixty six sixty seven. Something, certainly over 450 now. Do you, keep a, you, you do keep a count of it. I know I've got a, a count of mine. I, I keep a count of it in the fact that it's in my little database right. that you know has all of my, my bookings in it. Yeah. Um, but it's probably not exact science because there are some cancellations that have fallen out of that link and, and all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, but there it's certainly over 450. I know when I, I started photographing myself, I had no intention on becoming a wedding photographer. In fact, it was my, it was my the the um, the guy that asked me to shoot my first wedding was um, was the guy that went on to be best man at my wedding, and he said, uh, 
And I had a photographic studio at the time, and he said, uh, well, you, you photograph stuff, you can go and shoot a wedding. And I said, Steve, I can't think of anything I'd rather do less than photograph somebody else's wedding every Saturday. Why on earth would I possibly want to collapse my life at a weekend to go shoot weddings? But it's funny how you get sucked in, isn't it? Mm. I mean, that, that was roughly around, well, just a few years before you, 2005, mm. 2006. I shot three weddings for free. Mm. Then first wedding, I think, was six, seven hundred pounds. Yeah. Um, but but I had no intention of of becoming a wedding photographer at all. But once you start shooting them, they, you kind of get sucked in, don't you? Yeah, and and I remember a similar story actually with a friend of mine at an, another one of my old rugby friends was getting married, and uh, I was chatting to somebody who at the time was the only professional photographer I knew, and he was actually a medical photographer, so he would. He would take pictures of um, <laughs> livers and kidneys on yeah, the first day, tumors and all oh kinds of God. horrible things like that. Yeah. And uh, which actually, when I spoke to him about it, was you know quite a technically challenging job. Don't tell me he shoots weddings. He, no, no, no. He never shot weddings. Right, In fact, okay. he went on to be a, um, a physiotherapist. I think. Right. But, okay. But yeah, I remember I vividly remember at that particular wedding where I was a guest speaking to him, and he was saying, "Oh, you know, you can you you you'll be able to shoot weddings soon." And I was like, "No, why? You know, I play rugby on Saturdays, and mm. you know, I'm, I'm never going to do that." And and you're right. So hang on a minute. You Somebody decided you were going to become a, a photographer, but you hadn't actually considered the fact that you were going to have to give up rugby. <laughs> well, I mean, I was at that age where I was kind of not playing so much these days. Right. And we'd moved away from London, and I used to play rugby in London. And, and yeah, so that was all petering out, I suppose. Um, and, uh, you know, the the biggest challenge for me was that I had this 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 I had my own business in London doing, uh, you know, websites and stuff. And uh, at no point did I ever want to have a crossover. I didn't want to think I've got a traipse to London Monday to Friday, sit in this uh, office in Mayfair and then, uh, you know, and think, oh, my God, I've got to get ready for a wedding and, and then rush to another part of the country. So when I started thinking about it more seriously, then I... I was a contractor in London, so I, I just ditched that, and you know that 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 was coming to a natural end. Also, that that contract I had, mm. um, so that came to an end. And I think I shot one wedding where, which was oh, no, actually I think I shot two weddings. One that was free, just like you said, and then my first paid wedding. They were the only two that overlapped with the previous job. Do you remember what you charged for that first one? Six hundred pounds. Six hundred. Yeah, okay. six hundred pound. Um, and. I remember I was mad because obviously my job in those days was websites and stuff. So yeah. I put my website up. I used the pictures that I'd done on my first wedding as, as the, the, the kind of portfolio stuff. Um, put this website up. And within a couple of minutes, it was ranking number one on Google for Wiltshire Wedding Photographer. And within a couple of hours, I had my first email. Wow. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, ping, you know, are you available to shoot this wedding? On uh, And it was the day before my birthday, the wedding, 9th of August, 2008. Uh, and I was like, crap, what do I do? Yeah, mm. yeah. So I just replied going, yes. Yeah, yeah. Did everything wrong, of course. The whole thing was just... I mean, the wedding was fine, but the the planning and prep and everything else about it was carnage. Um, but they were the only two that crossed over with my previous job. Mm. And, uh, you know, I wasn't in that situation where, you, you know, I didn't, I didn't have luxury of, of money in the bank or anything. It had to work. If, if it didn't work, I would be going back to London or doing something else. So did you give... I, I gave... I felt like a visitor for for the first three, four, perhaps even five years of my my business. Mm. Did you give yourself a time? Was there right? Okay, we'll try this three months, six months, nine months. 
one year? Kind of. I I guess what I did was the thing that many people don't do, which is I did actually set up a business plan right at the beginning. Right. And that business plan is, I always say that like business plans are like IT specification documents. They, you start at the end. So let's just say, for example, we're going to build a a website or a project or a, you know an application or whatever that does something you you can't build that website or that application until you you know what the end goal is mm. so the website is to produce a report that documents x y and z so you know what that report is that's your end goal and the website is designed to achieve what you already know you know you know what you need it to do and that's the same as a business plan so a business plan for me is i need to earn this amount of money and i need to be able to give myself a certain level of lifestyle so that is the first thing that goes into the business plan rather than i need to get 16 weddings or i need to you know i need to get enough money to buy a new camera or whatever the business plan is i need to make this much money to live off and that's everything else reverses from that comes from you know work backwards so i knew exactly how much money i needed to make but i didn't know how that was going to fathom out how it was going to work of course you don't know whether you're going to get 10 weddings 20 weddings 30 weddings 40 weddings so you can't just say i'm going to charge 600 pounds per wedding for example right at the beginning because you know if you have a finite target financially wise you might never get there or as happened to me in the second year where i ended up shooting 70 weddings because i was i wasn't charging enough but they just kept coming in Yeah, because you went from zero to to 70 yeah very quickly i did six or seven weddings in that 2008 and and then bang next next year 2009 69 weddings yeah yeah have you done that many since no god no no yeah i mean it's it's it i i my business was very much built upon um doing lots of weddings so i know what that feels like yeah well you shot 86 the most in a year and and that year should have been 93 94 but there were a stack of cancellations of people just you know splitting or postponing weddings to the next year or whatever so yeah 86 Mm, that's a lot yeah, I, I, yeah, it was a lot. I'll, I'll give you that. Fortunately, I was being helped with uh, with um, uh, with retouching at the time as well. So, that, what's your average now? What what's your a lot less? And in fact, this is something we're going to talk about next week, um, which is um, you know the state of the industry state of the industry address. Um, I, I shoot a lot less weddings, and part of that is uh, is um, I don't want to call it nat- natural wastage, but but I, I've I've lost bookings because there are more wedding photographers around. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some very good wedding photographers around that aren't charging an awful lot of money. Mm-hmm. They might I don't know. They might live with their parents. They might not have. Um, they might not have the the financial expectations that I have. Mm-hmm. For all sorts of reasons, they they're charging less. And I can't help feeling there is a bit of a race to the bottom in terms of of, um, of, of professional fees. But I thought we'd discuss that next week and sort yep. of the state of the industry. But, but, but I, I certainly shoot a lot less weddings these days. Mm. So this year, last year, um, it was fifth, uh, 2018, rather, to, uh, it was 53, 53. Mm. So, but that's come down from 86 to 80 to 70, 60, and now I'm in the 50s. And who knows? I mean, this year might be the 40s. Mm. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And there are a lot more wedding photographers out there, and there's a lot less of a barrier to entry as well. 
Um, but you're right. We'll talk about that. Yeah, next week. Yeah, that'll be next week. So, um, so ne- next week's subject. Then, if you have an email, by the way, in the meantime that you'd like to send in on that, then do please send in an email uh, to um, click at fujicast.co.uk. Uh, if you want to address that subject, that'll be really handy because we're going to live off the emails uh, for this segment as well. So this week um, on the show, we're going to have part one of a two-part series featuring a walkabout Sydney with Fujifilm ex-photographer Marcus Anderson. You'd not re- you weren't that aware of Marcus's work, were you, before? No, not really. Not until you mentioned you were going to speak to him. Um, fellow ex-photographer, of course, but there yeah. are no... Well, know, how many of you are there? 500 or so, I think. Yeah, wow. there's a lot of them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it'd be interesting to hear him, actually. He was um, a fascinating guy. I met up at um, a cafe just um, in the QVB, Queen Victoria building, yeah. And uh, we just went for a walkabout. I didn't realise, actually, he was going to um, he was, he was going to treat this as a, as a photo walk. Hmm. And uh, I know that I think he sells photo walks. Hmm. So I felt, I felt particularly privileged to have my own, <laughs> my own photo walk. Well, that's always, that's always <laughs> the mark of a true photographer, though, isn't it? When I think that regardless what you're doing, if yeah. you can take your camera and go and shoot, then that's, that's, a, that's a positive thing. Yeah, you know? yeah. Well, I, I found him a fascinating character. Not necessarily, um, funnily enough, in love with the city anymore. Um, I mean, he's he's um, he's well known for his his photographs of the city and of, of Sydney and the place where he lives. Yeah. So this is my my photo walk with Marcus Anderson. Do you have a favourite focal length? For the street stuff, would be twenty eight. Twenty four being just too a bit wide. too wide. Yeah, it's too hard. I mean, twenty eight. Just I find twenty eight allows you to grab that little bit of extra information. Sometimes there's something coming at you know the corner of a frame that will just, it's hard to explain, just a random hand or something happening that takes, a, it can add an element of an odd element or an unsettling element or... I, I was reading something that you wrote about Sydney light. Very hard. In summer, it's, it's unavoidably, like they always say, oh, why does your work sometimes look like Trent Park's work? Because you're shooting in the same city with the same light and using film, and if you're exposing for direct sunlight yeah. it's gonna it's just what it does it's hard light you don't choose to shoot in the shadows though do you no not really I haven't for the books in the past a bit, I am now because I'm trying to look now for the little oddities of the world and even when I did that um, the previous books it was I always wanted hopefully something an element in there not just great light because great light's just not enough a lot of the great photos aren't perfect you know, it takes a lot of dedication to constantly go out in the street and do this and to not get bored, you know, and I think from, from my background, that's a problem I struggle with, that I have to, you have to change, you have to do it differently or you're repeating yourself or uh, I always feel the need to invert things or change focal lengths or see things a different way or... And that's, for me, the hardest part, the thinking behind it, not just the shooting. So that's why you choose to work on a project with one focal length. Exactly. I want everything removed, and it's just the idea. Yeah. Because a lot of time, for me, it's the... Before the project starts, it's the hardest part, because it's the thinking how... How am I going to encase this project in an idea rather than just a random body of whatever? It always, for me, it always has to be like an idea that strings it all together because it's always got to be a book. I'm aiming for always books and shows. Uh, otherwise, it, well, you, then you're just shooting randomly and it's, 
why why are you doing it you know I mean I'm it's weird I when I do this so oh, look at that interesting oh I like watchmakers what is it it's the Rolex shop we'll just break the window and take a couple and run <laughs> off huh it's I about it's about I don't know, 100, 100 grand just revolving yeah, around on me. Yeah, it's just, uh, I'll just take the wheel. <laughs> I saw a guy, he was testing shutter speeds. Have you seen a shutter speed testers? A guy, was, he was testing an old Rollerflex, uh, 2.8F. And he was, you know, because a lot of the old cameras, they can run slow or the shutters can run fast. And it was this machine, I don't know what it was, and he'd click it, then it would it'd say, um, it would give... 0.459 for 500th of a second. So it was saying it's close enough. And he was testing the... It's close enough. You know, I was like, <laughs> that'd be me. It's close <laughs> enough. It's a bit off, but you It'll know. Do. But um, yeah, I very much, I think I think that's some of my background. You know, for example, a, a, person, who, a, a person who does marks, a person who's an illustrator or a painter or ceramics or they sculpt, they're always thinking bodies of work. They think, I'm going to create this body of work I'm going to show it. I'm going to create this body work. I'm going to show it. Yeah. And that's how you, I, I feel as a photographer you've got to be. You, you can't sort of say, oh, well, this project's going to go on for 25 years. You know, because a lot of projects never end. What was that thing I, I read you saying about commercial work? Because you got to a point where you, you just wanted to throw the towel in. And yeah, I did. I wanted to drop it all. Just because Would I... Would you have left photography altogether or...? Well, I've, I've, I've studied some design as well. So I was thinking about moving more into design and graphic yeah. design. Because I was never shooting my own work. I spent, yeah. I spent seven years just... I, when I was studying, all I did was shoot my own work. Not really, not really to produce work, just to, just to do it out of... When you're studying, you're doing it out of enjoyment or you're always thinking about your own eye and your ideas but the moment I sort of went okay I'm gonna make money out of this or try and make money out of it I didn't shoot uh, probably seven years I just really took nothing for myself if you're not happy at work then it affects everything around you this, uh, this commercial work now though needs to be documentary and yeah well I just I've done style. the stuff that uh, it is documentary to a point uh, and but some of it's um, you know some of it's products some of it's interiors some of it's exteriors but i do try and always inject the documentary feel like i try and get human subjects and things to give it scale but also life um so yeah but the truck's going to be juxtaposition of different styles of buildings in. It's very different, isn't and it? You've got this 1980, mid early 80s. We've got early so 80s. I'm, I'm taking photographs. Yeah, do, enjoy, I don't want it to be about me. I want you to sort of enjoy looking. So even something like that there, I find interesting, just the bounce light. What, this on this side? Yeah, just the creep, creeping up on the yeah, side yeah. so it kind of forms a pattern so if, if you're going to photograph that building Westfield shove that in the frame as well so it creates kind of like a something more that those elements of being a bit different yeah um, where you know you, you just I mean it's just a little added bit of interest but it, don't you get that bounce light in here from the yeah. I think it's from those things there um, and it goes off under that down there but uh, but then you get these kind of really nice sandstone 
that's, that's a feeling you get from your photography actually is that you look up yeah i do yeah yeah i do i well i guess it's also that uh i don't know what, whether you'd call it bring my art school stuff in more of a modernist thing in that you, you pull all the information away from certain subjects just to create a plain background like there's that Max Dupain photo the Sunbaker that's a well-known photo and the angle he shoots it on um, there's no other information apart from the the Sunbaker so it's when you shoot up a lot of the time you're, you're pulling out all the information around is this becoming sort of an abstraction? Yeah. And um, I find that interesting sometimes in street photography. I like when you kind of collapse perspective and you shoot from that angle and all you're going to get are those lines and just the edge of that. And then you're waiting for someone to walk into frame who's interesting or different or has something unusual about them. Yeah. And you just almost, it may not be the best photo in the world, but it could be a photo that works as a page or that works as a... Uh, not everything has to be a earth-shattering image. Sometimes it can just be an image about mood or feeling. Quite refreshing to hear somebody with your experience say you don't have to look always for an earth-shattering frame. No, it's not. Frame. Because you honestly don't know where it can fit. You know, it's, it's like, um, it's like a, if, you, if there's a two-hour, if you have a piece of cinema, a motion picture, for two hours, in those two hours, there are the shots of cinematographer's shots that are sort of the, the money shots, the incredibly constructed. But not every frame is going to be that. Some frames are tight shots. Yeah. And they're still strong images, but they're not, they're there to tell the story. And that's why I think a lot of people, uh, you don't know, it, it, sometimes it can be just so random what you're going to photograph. Like, and I, me personally, I pre-visualize so much. So I'm walking up here, here and one thing I do in my brain, it's really weird, and probably all photographers do this. So you're walking up to this guy, there's a man sitting on a seat, lying on a seat here. Yeah. You kind of, you, your brain is almost, you're already at the seat. So you're looking at him and you're seeing where the light is behind him. So you're pre-visualizing whether it's going to work. You know, I do that a lot, sort of, it's almost like you're, I don't know, you transport yourself up to that position before you get there and presume to see what you're going to see and whether it's going to work or not. It's, it's a weird thing that sometimes I've done. This almost seems a Marcus Anderson picture in terms of the fact that he's lying on this seat, but he's, he's bathed in the sunshine and either side of him is complete shadow. Yeah, there's shadow, but there's also, you've got other subjects, you've got the trees there that could add an element of kind of... Uh, you know, um, not that it's a great photo, but at the moment he's he's not clearly defined in the. Sh uh, so when if you go up here, see, he's aware, but you can just grab a sneaky, yeah. and uh, sometimes you can do it, and you can just. Did you grab a sneaky one? I tried to. I don't know whether I got it though. It's quite wide this lens, and I really do need to move in closer. But the second I move in closer too close and this is they'll become aware of me how much of, of uh, is that a problem to you because we were talking in the cafe about yeah. photographers like bruce gilden who yeah. you know it's not an issue for them at all i no. mean if, if you get spotted you get they spotted. almost become they fairer that. game yeah i think no i, I that's I, not your style no I, I like to be a ghost you know i like to be a ghost and i can get like here, because there's not a lot of people, uh, people are aware, but for example, so I find that interesting, just the cigarette that's been left there. 
So that to me would be a really good photo. You know, for example, you take a photo of that and it's not a great image, but it could be used for something. Yeah. I could use it for something. It's in there, it's... I don't know, I could connect it some way in a book. So you're almost cataloguing as you go Yeah, out. I do. I very much do. And I think, well, that can... As I said, it doesn't... Ha- a lot of the time it's... Because I want to think of bodies of... Like, I want to think of as a narrative. So it's no use me just going around, oh, I'm trying to get great photos today. Well, the odds are if I'm trying to get great photos today, I'm, I'm not going to get it. It takes a long time to get something strong. More from Marcus next week. We'll have uh, part two of that walk around Sydney. So, you've got mail. This is your chance to write to us each week with any questions that you may have, um, any comments, any thoughts, anything that you would like to hear on the Fujicast. That would be great as well. I think, Kev, you can kick off with the very first one. Okay, cool. So, uh, a few weeks ago, I actually did a Q&A on my own YouTube channel, and I had a lot of questions that came through. So, I answered some on there, um, but there was a whole load more that came through that, you know, I didn't get time to, to answer. So, I'm just randomly actually looking through the questions that were sent to me for that, and I'm just going to pick one randomly here right now, because until we get the emails coming through to the podcast, then we, you know, we don't have a, a kind of body of these. Um, so, send the emails in. That would be great. Um, I have one here, and it's from somebody called Meng. Keen. Um, YouTube is always great for, uh, for the amazing names that people come up with. Um, and the question is, hi Kevin, how do you deal with low light at weddings, particularly after a ceremony when the festivities start and you're either attempting to work with a wide depth of field and therefore a smaller aperture, yeah. or you want a bit of subject movement but not make everyone blurry? And so my answer to that, I guess, is it just because one person, one photographer works in one way, it doesn't mean for sure that that's the right way or certainly not the only way to do it. And I am a I've always been a a lover of uh, analogic looking images mm. so i you know i i've embraced grain i've embraced noise so i'm very happy uh, especially now with the new breed of uh future film x-trans sensors the you know to be shooting at 12,800 iso i'm more than happy to do that if i absolutely have to um now i will i've over the years i've i've kind of uh, understood the cameras a lot more and I understand the focusing systems very well and so I can shoot at very fast apertures and still focus in low light and still get the images that I need without the necessarily need to throw a light onto it or to use flash um, I do sometimes use a little um, Manfrotto um, LED light um, which we can, we might talk about that a little bit later actually. I think. It's on my wish list Yeah, on the wish list <laughs> um, <laughs> So that that's pretty useful but I think the question is relating to if I want to use a uh, you know a, a different aperture such as f5.6 or f8, um, and and the brutal honesty to that is I don't because if I want to be shooting, if I need to shoot at f8 and it's very low light, my shutter speed is going to be too low. The yeah. ISO will not be able to go high enough, um, and the only way that I would be able to deal with that is by using flash. And for me, in that you're environment, you're not a flash shooter. I'm not a flash no. shooter, and that's that's that that's through personal choice. Doesn't mean it's it's you know it's it's the right or wrong way to do things. But for me, uh, you know, the thought of maybe having to use a, tr- a stabilizer, a tripod, and setting up some off-camera flash and uh, all that kind of stuff, that's that's just not the way that I do things, and I don't want to do things that way. And my clients don't expect me to be doing that kind of stuff. Um, so for those people who are shooting in, you know, they want to use that kind of wider depth of field. F8, F5.6, whatever, and it is still extremely low light, 
then, you know, the fact is it's photography and you are going to have to illuminate it somehow or you're going to have to really crank up the ISO or you're going to have to shoot at really, really low shutter speed, which is going to introduce motion blur. Uh, You know, it's just a way of understanding your camera. But for me, it's I'm a back button focuser. I focus very quickly. I will use continuous focus in the in the low light situations. And, you know, I mean, the the fact is with the X-T3 now, the um, the face detection and the autofocus is another level. Level up from so do the you previous do cameras. you use that autofocus in conjunction with this low light shooting method you have? Yeah, so um, continuous AFC, continuous focus mode. So it's always AFC. AFC. So it, actually, it would be really handy to have. What what are the Kev Mullins settings <laughs> when you get to that dance situation? The light has fallen. You're shooting shallow depth of field for uh-huh. sure. We know that now. Uh-huh. Is, is is there a, a, a typical setting? including focus that you would use yeah so i would i would use afc um i would use the uh, fastest aperture on the lens so if i'm using the 56 1.2 it will be f 1.2 if i'm using the 23 1.4 it's going to be f 1.4 that will bring down the the iso as much as possible i will i pretty much shoot everything on auto iso at a minimum shutter speed of 1 1 25th now if when i'm testing the the you know getting ready for the, the first answer example if my my auto ISO is pushing my shutter speed down really, really low, lower than the 1 125th. Because in auto ISO, by the way, the minimum shutter speed is only the recommended minimum shutter speed. It will go below. It will go below. It will never exceed the ISO, but it may well have to go below the, the shutter speed. So in that case, if that's what it's doing, then I may drop it down to 160th or you know 1 100th or whatever. It depends on the lens. Um, and uh, CL, um, continuous, uh, sorry, um, high speed burst, but in the low level because you have CH and CL yeah. uh, you know confusingly the lower of the two the lower of the two which CL. is about three frames per second yeah. is default um, and that's that's absolutely fine for the for the first dance it depends a little bit on what they're going to do so I will always ask the DJ beforehand or the, the, the band you know what's the first dance um, and you know normally it's something I've never heard of because I'm about 150 years old <laughs> and uh, you know everybody else is unless it's Lady in Red <laughs> yeah oh, um, I know that one Lady in Red yeah <laughs> um, and, and, and so really what I'm asking them is is it slow or fast yeah. is it a slow or fast dance are they likely to be doing some kind of funky routine where the groom's throwing the bride over its head and you know they're doing kind of bends and swan ducks and all that kind of stuff in which case i will you know that 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 does make me work a little bit differently but generally you know generally for the kind of shuffle dancers that that most weddings seem to have where the guy is really totally unimpressed about having to do this um it's it's pretty slow and so yeah continuous focus fastest aperture i'll use a a wide lens and a a, a kind of telephoto-ish lens so the 56 23 almost always occasionally the 16 depending on on what's going on i'll normally shoot with my back to the band or back to the dj yeah so I can get the context. So the light's going with you. The light's going with me, but also I've got the context of the the people in the background. The people in the background the staring at their mobile phones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, I'm the other way. I, I, I. That, that's the time the flash comes out. Mm. So um, it'll be ISO 2000, manual flash, manual power. Yeah. Um, I use a 1024 lens, mm-hmm. f11. Mm-hmm. Um, I will have pre-focused. Yeah. And I, I just know that it's going to be all right in front of me. And generally, <clears throat> that works for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, a lot of people do amazing stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, we, we shot a wedding together recently. First time, I, I've only ever had two second shooters, or I've only shot weddings with two other people, I should say, um, in, in all of those weddings. And um, you and I shot one recently. And it was really interesting because I think right up until the dancing, we were pretty much identical in our approach and our styles. 
then I went and spoiled it. And then the dancing, yeah, and you pulled out this thing, and I was like, whoa, what's What's that? that? (laughs) It's a flash, Kevin. Yeah. Uh, I was packing up and getting ready to go in the car and you were there <laughs> dancing away. <laughs> I, would, I, I don't think I was dancing no, no, away. No, no, it's taking the dancing, yeah. There we go. So there, there's your answer on that one. I've got, I've got a, so I've got a, a slightly more, I suppose, complex one. This is from Martin Shelley. I recently found you on YouTube. Uh, we will give our YouTube um, addresses at the end. Whilst I was researching Fujifilm and the X-T3, I'm a fellow wedding photographer. I've now switched to the Fujifilm system from Nikon, so now shooting X-T3, X-T2. And I have to say I'm loving it. I'm finding issues, though, with Lightroom and the worms caused by the sharpening process and com- conversion from RAF to LR. I've done some reading on the internet. There seems to be so many methods to alleviate the issue. Wondered if um, you'd be able to sh- share a pearl of wisdom on this matter and what method you might be using. I've got to be honest. I- I've not really noticed this this huge issue at all. Have mm. you? This worm issue that people... I've heard it mentioned a couple of times now. When I look back at it, I'm thinking, no, I'm not, I'm not really seeing this. Yeah. Am I, am I not seeing something everybody else is? I... It, it, it's obviously a thing because lots of people are mentioning it for mm. sure. Uh, I certainly. Uh, what what is this worm? Well, what, I've what, seen it. What's I've seen worm it. look like. It's, for those that haven't seen it, it's um, how do you explain it on a, a, a audio audio? It's um, like when you zoom right into some foliage, for example, it looks almost like water painting, like yeah. a kind of. Um, like a Rembrandt style kind of image but only when you zoom right in and I have seen it uh, not on my own pictures but on other people's pictures so it's definitely a thing it exists it exists now my understanding is that it's an Adobe issue rather than a sensor issue for Fujifilm because Mm. it certainly doesn't exist in uh, if you put an image through um, Silky Pix for example which is the Fujifilm official raw editor it's not there. Simple as that. So it's definitely a processing thing from whichever application is processing the image. But that doesn't mean it's you know it's it's it, it's not there. It definitely exists. Um, but from my understanding of it, it's to do with the sharpening. Now I don't I don't sharpen any of my images whatsoever. They have the raw images come in. They take the default sharpening, which is twenty five in the detail on Lightroom now they did for a previous version they bumped it up the default for Fujifilm files to 40 which was which was too much and I ended up bringing it down so now they've reverted to 25 as the default and I didn't do any sharpening until I export the images and when I export the images I just use the export preset and it says sharpening for screen or for um, matte, uh, matte paper or um, glossy paper and I'll just pick standard for whichever output is going. So if it's going to my albums, I'll pick matte paper standard. My website, screen, standard. That's all the sharpening I do. And I do think that it's uh, people who are oh, perhaps, well, maybe not, over-sharpening is probably not the right word to use, but are, are, are sharpening in uh, an, aggr- you know, uh, an aggressive manner to try and get a look, and that's having this kind of impact. Um, and I was always told, always told that sharpening is the last thing you do. It's the thing you do right at the very end. Yeah, and you, it, it always you do it has as, been as the it? output. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, sharpening grain output. Yeah, exactly that. And so you know, it perhaps that's what people need to do. Need to look at it. Um, it exists. It's definitely an issue. People, too many people have mentioned it for it not to be an issue. But of course, you know, don't forget in the in the online world. You, I mean, I have these kind of emails all of the time where, you know, people send me, say, you know, the, the worms. What about the worms? You know, there's worms in these images. <laughs> and yeah. I'm like, well, 
send me some of your images and I'll have a look. Oh, well, I haven't actually experienced it, but I know it exists because it's been on the internet. And so, you know, for... for <laughs> It does exist. I'm not trying to kind of gloss over it. But for every one person that it does exist for, there's probably three people who are saying, oh, yeah, it exists and, you know, it's a problem. But they've never experienced it themselves. Do you mean they're looking for the problem before they... Yeah, perhaps, you know. Yeah. They, they, you know, uh, you, you know but it sounds to me like Martin has found this problem. I mean... Absolutely. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not... I, I, I 100% agree it exists, definitely. But I think it exists in pretty rare circumstances and for pretty specific types mm. of images. And I think that, you know, I remember, for example, when I bought my Canon 5D Mark one or two or whatever it was i put a pre-order in for it years and years and years ago and then even before it came out there was reports of light leaks in one of the you know it's, it's going to have a light leak uh and of course i mean it did but it it wasn't didn't affect me in any way shape or form there was no it wasn't you know all cameras have these little things well this and- is the same with the lockup thing isn't it you read over on a, I, I i have had lockups yes i have yeah and i i must admit i've had more lockups with my fujifilm kit than I ever did with my Canon kit. Mm-hmm. It's something that happens. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't happen every shoot, and it doesn't happen every week, and it doesn't happen every month. Mm. And and sometimes it'll be because I've been changing a load of settings, and then then it, it'll have a moment where it says, well, wait a minute, just restart me, please. Mm. But it, it's a real issue to some folk, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, for sure. It, like Going back to that Canon situation, it worried me a little bit that actually there's reports of these problems with this camera. But it had no impact whatsoever. And I think people often, people are looking for the perfect, perfect camera or anything in life with absolutely no defects, no problems, nothing. You know, it's the perfect thing. I'm going to spend my... It's never going to go wrong. £2,000 or whatever it is. And it's utopia. It's what I've been looking for all my entire life. And actually, they often then have, you know, they read about things and they see, you know, like the worms or the lockups or whatever. Um, And that affects their, their, their decisions. Now, that you know don't get me wrong if things if things are major and there are issues then absolutely you know you want to have something that's working as good as possible but things like the worms are to me it's a non-issue it's absolutely a non-issue because it's a software thing it's not the camera it's uh, you know there's a lot of people on the internet that will say oh, i've got worms on my images and uh, uh, but you know, for every one person that says that, there's probably 10,000 people that don't. That don't. And don't go on the internet and go, oh, I don't. I can't say it's something I've noticed coming out of, you know, my, my workflow at all. I'm going to throw another quick one in, if you don't mind, from John, um, before we've got one of yours. John Burridge, just renewed, I like the, the way he said this, just just renewed my vows with Fuji <laughs> by getting the X-T3 as well. I'm dipping my toe in the world of video and wondering about gimbals. Any suggestions for the Fujifilm user? I'm going to throw one straight in. Uh, which is the Came TV gimbal. I've been using it for three... I've, in fact, I think I used that to shoot one of your Fujifilm uh-huh. films. Yeah, I think it The is. X100F. I yeah. think I think I, that was the first time it came out. I remember sitting in a pub with you um, in the Soho area. Yeah, <laughs> in the Soho area with another gimbal. What, what was it? The one that's... That was Unpronounceable. My, the first... Zihan... Zhang Zhujun... Zihan Kring, I think it was, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, that was my one. That was your one, but that was your first one. Yeah. And that one, I remember, I mean, it would have taken some somebody with a degree in engineering to understand how this yeah. thing balanced. Yeah, I got rid of it. Yeah, went, but you've uh, you've got a... So my one is the Came TV. Love the Came TV ones. Think they're fantastic. They're resilient. The batteries just last forever. Um, and, yeah, I can't say enough good things about it. Really simple to use. I know DJI have 
a new one out, which looks really, really good. You didn't buy the DJI one, though, did you? No, I actually went back to the Zihun, yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, and got the new Zihun two or three or whatever it is. And that now, one's perfect, whatever. isn't it? Well, oh, <laughs> it's. I'm sure it's perfect for the people who know what they're doing with it properly, um, which I probably don't. Uh, it's fine. It's very good. It actually does what it needs to do. Um, but I, uh, you know, I'm not a. Uh, I've not really spent that much time with it. I haven't really used it as much as possible. However, it's a lot better than that first one. The yeah. the, the stabilizing and calibration of it is much easier. Much much easier. All right. Now, so that so was that- always my problem. You know the the. the how, how long would it take you to get up and running with a with a, the stabilizer if you had to recalibrate everything, stick yeah. a different lens on it, and it'd fall off? And you know, that, yeah. Right. Let's have a the trolling. Length, the length people will go through to justify gas. Quite sad, actually. Unless you're sponsored, of course, Neil. In which basis, I'll happily blast each and every one away with a Canon EOS R. Phew! Is that baby sweet? I can use all my EF and EFS glass. Any of you? I, I must admit, when I did that film about swapping systems, um, it was mainly, and I, I'm, I'm a former Canon user, it was mainly the Canon guys and girls that came out of the ether to say, what are you doing? Mm. But I must admit, I've been really disappointed with the, the offering of the, um, the, the Canon mirrorless offering. And I was really open-minded to the, the whole thing uh, about the Canon um, system. But... Um, it's very expensive for a start. And this is another thing we're going to address next week, this sort of barrier to entry. I mean, if there was a, a barrier to entry, it would be that, that Canon R um, price. Yeah. Whereas the X-T3 comes in at, what, £1,300, and you're up and running with a really powerful piece of kit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's I mean, not supposed to sound like an advert, by the way. That's just a statement. No, qu- quite right. I mean, I, I, I have never used any of the mirrorless offerings from Canon or Nikon, so really don't know anything about it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, you know, they, they seem expensive and uh, I'm sure they make good pictures. All right, one trolling for you. Go on. Okay, so it's not... It's not really a troll um, as such, but, uh, you know, it's a comment that came through. Ex-photographers usually tend to talk just about good things about Fujifilm. Um, is there for you anything that's really annoying about the system Ooh. or the company itself? Good so question. It's not a, yeah, it's not a trolling question. No, it's, it's not. It's a fair actually. question. I'll, I'll take I that trolling back and we'll give it a email instead. Yeah, maybe one day I'll tell you about the one I had to go at my teeth. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so it's actually a fair question, you know, and... and um, I cannot possibly pronounce the name of the person who sent it. Could you believe Van der Kamp or something? Uh, apologies. That, that, that is a 25 point answer in Scrabble. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. At least. Um, and a double score at the last letter. <laughs> and, and to answer his question, yeah, I mean, generally, you know what? The reason why um, ex photographers typically talk you know mention the good stuff about fujifilm is because the reason they've become an ex-photographer is because they've embraced that system they nobody is going to embrace a system if they don't like it if they don't you know there are photographers out there absolutely who who just are what they would call a shill so you know if canon come along and say hey you know what we want to give you some money and a shill a shill a shill um you will we'll give you some money if you talk about our cameras um then you know and then they ditch the the system that they're currently with because this has come along then you know that's fine people do whatever they want they have their own integrity about stuff um but the fact of the matter is the fujifilm x photography scheme is designed that they own only take people on or certainly this is my understanding of it that are already invested you know we all buy our gear we're, we're already invested we're already up and running with professional photographers shooting with these systems now 
by inference alone, that means you enjoy it. You, it's doing、mm. the job for you because you've already set your business up based on it. Now that you know, part of the question is, you know, what you know, just saying about good stuff. And there are Fujifilm X photographers out there that. Do even make me angry in in terms of the the content they put out there, and they 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 are totally blinkered to the fact that you know it's not a perfect system. It's not absolutely. There's nothing wrong with using Canon or Nikon or using both or a mixture or even whatever shooting black and white color.、Um, and some of the ex photographers are seem to think that actually, you know what. We, we, It's impossible. I must. Everybody must do what I do, and they must shoot Fujifilm, and they must do this, and they must do that. And of course, it would be a terribly boring world if we all did the same stuff.、Mm. Um, and to answer your question, yeah, there are things that are that I find a little bit annoying about the some of the cameras, and there are things I find a little bit annoying about the the, the Fujifilm X photography scheme.、Uh, not the company as such. I mean, my relationship with Fujifilm UK is amazing.、They've、You've got, just signed for another year. They, yeah, there's the、uh, yeah. So the X photography scheme、yeah. in the UK is is on a yearly. Basis and there's no guarantee that you're you're going to be there the year later. You know it just doesn't work like that. It's not a they don't pay us. They don't give us money for this. You know they will obviously if we do a talk for them or we do run a workshop. That's where we get paid. Actually, and that's a very good point because some people think you know you're influencing and being paid for every single good thing you say about the brand. I, I, I'm not an ex photographer and I, I I can't find the can't find the mail now. But I, I did I did get one message that said you're obviously a full time paid up. Fuji influencer. I thought no, no, couldn't be further from the truth. No, absolutely not. And you know the fact is,、uh, I keep saying the fact is because it is a fact. I know personally the、uh, the people in Japan in Tokyo who run the exotography scheme, and they are they would be absolutely devastated if they thought that. People think that ex photographers are only there because they're on the dime.、Mm. Because it's not true. That is that is certainly not what they want. They want ex photographers to, of course, be、um, evangelical to a certain ex- to a certain point. You know, they're not going to select people who are going to going to say negative things or overly negative things. But they want them to be real working photographers. And if you look at the ex photographer website, there yeah, there's something like 500 photographers on there now. Not all of them. In fact, many, many of them, a vast majority, I would say, don't have a huge social media reach. They don't do workshops. They're not,、uh, what, you know, what you would call a, a, you know, a well-known face in the industry. They are just general photographers, and Fujifilm like their work and like the message in their pictures and like to showcase their work. And that's that's really how it works. And I mean, I, you know, when it, the, 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 going back to the question about any negatives, I think personally, I think there are too many ex-photographers on the. On the scheme now, and that doesn't necessarily mean because it gives me less of a footprint or less of a, an opportunity. I just think it kind of introduces this opportunity for people to to lose the integrity a little bit and to have that as a target. And there is, you know, you, nobody should have a target of one day. I mean, I get this a lot. I did. I, I, you know, Neil just mentioned that, or you just mentioned that. I've signed up for another year as an exotographer, and so I put the little picture on my Instagram. And you did, yeah.、Uh, if you look through the comments on there, there's several comments like, "How do I get to be an exotographer?" And you know, I just don't even answer these questions any longer because it's it's not a case of that. That shouldn't be an ambition, frankly. Mm, mm. The ambition should be, you know, what I want to build a business. Well, I think that's may- maybe because they think they're going to get shiny new gear. That, that's that's what that's about. Perhaps, perhaps I don't know, but well, just feeling to be loved. 
Maybe, but yeah. at the end of the day, their feeling should be, you know what, I want to build a business that, that feeds my family, feeds the kids, lets us go on holiday, lets me take pictures yeah. that, uh, you know, that either wedding pictures, portraits, whatever, you know, that, that I really like or I can make money from, et cetera, et cetera. And if a brand comes along afterwards and says, you know, hey, we really like your work, you know, we'd, we'd like to feature you on the Exotographer website or Canon or Nikon or whatever, then that is a consequence of your hard work. And, uh, you know, that's how it should happen rather than the ambition being what do I need to do to become an ex-photographer? Because you just won't. It just won't happen because mm. your mindset is wrong. Simple as that. Um, you know, and, and we, we, you and I know um, several Canon ambassadors and it's exactly the same there. I mean, they're even bigger than Fujifilm. So they must have hundreds and hundreds of people who are just, how do I, do, how do I get to be a, a Canon ambassador of light? Um, and, you know, all of the people that I see on the Canon ambassador list are all very well thought of photographers who have integrity one of our friends has only recently got on there absolutely i mean that's there's been years of honing his craft and skill correct that's that's not years of sending letters no to canon absolutely yeah yeah yeah. and that's really important yeah look if you have a question for uh for the mail then uh, please send it to us it's click at fujicast.co.uk and we'll pick them up next week on the show right to the wish list um, we've got two things really wish list and also um, a bookshelf item as well we'll start with the um, the wish list this is uh, well these are items really that um, we both have um, and it's essential bits of kit really that um, I know that I wouldn't want to be without if I go out and shoot a wedding or anything for that matter because uh, recently this this first item that we're going to discuss this week on the show is, is one that I've used for filming as well. I took this to Africa recently and used it um, in conjunction with some, some filming that I, was, that I was doing as a hair light. I used this thing as a hair light, not, not a main light. So it's um, the Manfrotto Lumi... I always get this wrong. Lumi Muse, Lumi Muse, Lumi Muse, Lumi Muse. Yeah, and, but there are there are various Lumi Muses, aren't there? I mean, there's the six. Yeah. There's the eight. There's there's one even bigger than that, isn't there? I think I thought eight was the max. Eight, eight uh, there the may max. be there may be others. Yeah. I don't think I'd need to go more than eight. Mm. But uh, this is um, this is a small video light. It has three particular settings on it. Um, three uh, three brightnesses. Mm-hmm. One, two, three. And uh, I use it personally for um, some of the dancing, although, as we've already discussed, I use flash more for that. But it's it's great for that. I've used it a few times for illuminating, um, say, at a wedding, a cake. Um, I've used it for that. I've used it filming. I, I find it really useful. And the best thing about it, by the way, is it is tiny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great, really cool. And I stole the idea from you because that 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 was the one you used. Yeah, I mean this 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 is this has been in my kit bag now for I don't know maybe eighteen months or so when I well, I don't know where I first found about out about it. Um, little tiny LED, really light. I charge it. I mean we're done now for two thousand eighteen. I charged mine once. I stuck it in the USB charger once. Once. Yeah, and but you use this thing a lot. Well, I don't use it that much. I mean, I, if I can get away with not using that, I won't use okay. it. Okay, I had this idea that you were using it every single wedding no. to, to at least illuminate the first dance. No, or something. no, no. Okay. If if, the, if there's enough available light or you know, DJs right. or whatever, then I'll yeah. use that. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's single charge. Um, it's an it's a standard USB charge cable, so you, you yeah. can charge it from anything. And it's pretty brisk to charge up. I, I used mine on that video shoot. I used it as a hair light. Mm. And I think I put on, because it comes with some gels as well, so I warmed it up. 
and I think I must have used it for at least half an hour, mm. and there was no problem at all. No, no still no. had plenty of charge in it. Yeah, mine mine just keeps going, and uh, it, it's yeah, it's just really light, and it's got a little hot shoe mount, so you can stick it on the hot shoe if you want. Uh, typically, I think you're probably the same. I, you, yeah, I do. Camera yeah. in one hand and yeah. light in the other. Um, it's brilliant. It's excellent for like when you're back in the car late at night and you, you've lost your stuff. You just slip, flip that on, and you, it's, it's, it's a little car light. And if your headlight, if your headlights fail, you, you can, can even use it, it for the that. front. Yeah, Perfect. yeah, brilliant. All right, that's our wish list for this week. Book. Um, you, you've, um, you're. What one have you brought in? You brought a couple, but I don't know which one this is. So I've got. I, 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 oh, it's not Martin Parr. Martin Parr for another week. Then. Martin Parr for another week. Yeah, I I love photo books. I've got maybe three hundred of them now. Um, you are a real collector. Yeah. There's only one person I know who has, I think, more books than you, and that's Mark Seymour. Yeah, Mark in yeah. the UK. Yeah, in the Thames Valley, he has a an, 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 a really impressive collection. Yeah, no, good. I mean, they're, they're so important. And uh, the one I've got today is a photographer called Bob Mazer, um, and it's just titled Underground. And it's such a simple book of pictures that he took um, on the underground, on the London Underground, and uh, they are simple pictures documentary pictures and some portraits of everyday life and the reason why i invest in these types of books and the reason why i love looking at them is because they give us an insight into the past and sadly i think that insight is going away i think that you know these days if you look at specifically if you pick this book up but any any book where the pictures were taken in the 70s or 80s or 60s or whatever these days, if you start pointing your camera at people, you know, you get the, oh, are you allowed to take my picture? You shouldn't mm. be taking pictures of me, blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. And, and you know, that discussion is for another day, perhaps, the whole kind of ethics and legalities. and Do you not think he suffered from that as well? Perhaps he did. But the fact is, if he didn't, if he didn't take these pictures, we would no longer be able to look at them. And imagine, imagine, you know, how, how can we sit in our, how can we send our kids to school and then go to history lessons? Uh, you know, in, in 30 years time, uh, mm. our grandkids go to school to history lessons and go, oh, yeah, so um, this is what the 2000s were like, but we can only read about it. We can't show you any pictures because we weren't allowed to yeah. take any. Nobody's yeah. allowed to take pictures of people in those days. Um, uh, that's a terrible thing, an absolutely terrible thing. And, you know, I, I, I the simple street photography style pictures um the you know not necessarily commissioned work or anything but pictures that tell us about these people i mean i'm just looking right now at one book uh, one image it's a guy in a um i would say this has got to be early 80s uh in a in a, in a stripy top um in front of a passport booth there is nothing about that picture whatsoever that is um you know kind of telling us anything necessarily but it's a picture of the time and the date uh, and the person and you know we we get an idea of what people wore what that you know we've got the the, uh, the background the old photo booth color poses that we you know we probably all remember the four poses for one pound imagine that in four and a half minutes approximately um it, you know all of that stuff that it, if you took a picture of somebody stood outside a photo booth now you know you you there would be issues there would probably be issues depending on how you approach it and you know what you're doing etc but i just find it really really hard to believe that all of these pictures now you know neil and i are looking at these pictures right now if they didn't exist if these little moments stolen from time were not photographed how would we know how how would we know i'm looking at the vice site and um a lot he was asked the question some of your photos feature kids messing about jumping over closed 
uh, tube barriers, that kind of thing. Were you a bit of a rascal in your youth? And he, he says, yes, he was. And he probably needed to be a bit to 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 be fascinated by this this culture. I mean, this is a Friday night on the tubes with young guys yeah. doing what young guys get up to. Yeah. And I love this particular photograph of, of um, a girl sitting opposite one, two, three, four, five, six, six lads mm-hmm. um, who are all flashing a V sign at the camera. And she looks completely unimpressed by them. It's a, it's a, I mean, it's, it, it takes an eye to find that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and it does take an eye to find it. And it takes courage to take those pictures also. Um, but, you know, if he didn't, we wouldn't have these pictures to look at. And, yeah. and, and you know, that's something I think that's that's worthy of a conversation piece in another episode, maybe. But it's, uh, you know, it's a real fear. <laughs> We're chuckling at that picture that's on the screen now in front of us. Um, <laughs> it's a real fear that this kind of stuff goes away. And of course, you know, people these days say, oh, yeah, but there's nothing to take pictures of because everybody's just got their face in their mobile phone. But actually, that becomes a, a subject in itself. Of course, yeah. So in 30, 40, 50 years' time, when pictures of people on their mobile phone, people will look at those pictures of people on their mobile phones and think, my God, what were those funny yeah. things when we've all got, in their eyes? In when their we've hands? all got chips in our brains and we don't need, need to use them anymore. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And, you know, and so they become documents of, of, of the past as well. And, and that, that to me is so important. And, you know, I lo- that's why I love these books. And that's why I picked a very simple book, Beautiful Pictures, well known photographer. Um, and it was Bob Mazer, Mazer, perhaps. Mazer, yeah. Can, can I just I ask know. if Gemma knows you spent between 150 and 400 pounds on that book? <laughs> because I'm just looking at the prices today for the, for that hardback of that book. Is it really that much? Yeah. Anybody want to buy it? <laughs> <laughs> you didn't spend that much, did you? I'm sure you can find them for less money. Yeah, I don't think so. It depends if it's a first edition. I do actually love it. I it look, might be. Yeah, I the think these, editions are, stuff, these are signed editions as well, maybe, so, I think. Mm-hmm. So there we go. That's that's the bookshelf book um, for this week. The Fujicast. Calling time on today's show, then. It's been quite a long one, actually. When we sat down originally, we said, well, how long should this be? Half an hour? 20 minutes? 40 minutes? <laughs> It's easily gone over that, hasn't it? That's my rambling. No, 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 not at all. It's important. <laughs> if you'd like to um, check into um, our accounts and stuff, see what we've got. I'll let, I'll let Kev run through his first. So I'm on YouTube. If you just search for my name, Kevin Mullins, you'll find me on YouTube. My Fujifilm and personal photography website is f16.click. That's f16.click. And on Instagram, it's Kevin Mullins Photography. You'll find these in the show notes as well, of course. Mine, if you're searching on YouTube, is just Neil James, N-E-A-L-E, funny old spelling, Neil James. Also, if you go to the website, which is neiljames.com, I also have a commercial one, which is breathepictures.com. So that's it for this week. If you'd like to send some emails in, that would be fantastic. Click at fujicast.co.uk. That is the email address. Click at fujicast.co.uk. And uh, on next week's show, we'll have part two of the uh, walk around Sydney with Marcus Anderson. Thank you. See you next week.